this week I've chosen a, a scripture from Isaiah chapter nine. It was a prophecy concerning Jesus that happened 700 years before Jesus was actually born, before Christmas. But it's this Isaiah 9, 6, really an important verse. Now, right away, I mean, anybody who's going to come to church on Christmas Eve is going to feel good about Jesus. But you're in good company. Most everyone in the world has a good feeling about Jesus in some way or another. You know, uh, not only do all Christian religions disagree on so much, but they all like Jesus. But even other religions, most of them, Islam or Buddhism or you know Hinduism or whatever, they'll usually acknowledge that Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet, exalted prophet or whatever. Even atheists usually are like, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I just think that what you believe about him is wrong. So when we talk about celebrating Jesus, it's kind of important that we know what Jesus we're talking about. The truth is, most of us kind of have our favorite version of Jesus, and we kind of go with that, sort of like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, where he's a NASCAR driver, and he's praying before the meal, and he says, oh, dear little baby Jesus. And his family's like, why do you call him baby Jesus? He grew up, he had a beard, And he goes, well, I want to pray to my favorite Jesus. My favorite Jesus is the little baby Jesus. So he said, dear little eight ounce, eight pound, 10 ounce baby Jesus, I thank you. You know, and he goes through, but that seems a little ridiculous. But the truth is, in different ways, we all kind of hone our image of Jesus. Well, Depeche Mode had a song called Your Own Personal Jesus. The idea that you can kind of design your Jesus as anyone who will listen to you and who cares about you. Um, Today, there's a multi-million dollar ad campaign um, that that is on all the TV shows and sports and everything that's emphasizing how woke Jesus is. Like, yeah, he gets us because Jesus is like a social worker, gangster, slash whatever. You know, um, so, you know, their picture of Jesus is being trying to tailor it so that you're like, oh, I can believe in a Jesus like that. The problem is Jesus is real. And if we don't believe that he is who the Bible says he is, then we're just making up our own stuff in in our conception. If we're going to worship a Jesus, it should be a real Jesus, not one that we made up to fit our particular expectations. And that's one of the reasons why the scripture that we're looking at this morning, Isaiah 9, 6, is so important. Because 700 years before Christmas, the prophet had this revelation about Jesus that's really profound, talking about him coming as a child, talking about him being offered, talking about his character and who he is. And so I think it would do us well on this Christmas Eve as we look at the scriptures, and I would suggest that you carry this passage with you this week and think about it a little bit because it's really profound saying, here's who Jesus actually is. So he starts out, for unto us a child is born. If you don't understand that Jesus was actually born, then you don't 
understand who he is at all. It starts with that, but it's not just, and nobody hates babies. Well, nowadays some people do, but most people, like a baby, it's innocent, and you know, until they become teenagers, it's like it has this dependence. It's this, you know, there's something beautiful about them. They don't have to do anything, and we're just impressed if they if they smile or even if it's just gas. And we're just like babies. Everybody loves a baby. So God was going to reveal Himself. The scriptures tell us. In the past, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken unto us in his son. There's something about that baby that says, well, Jesus himself talked about the fact that you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you get in touch with what it is to be a kid. If you've lost your sense of childishness, you've lost your capacity to understand who he is, So God sent his son as a baby to say, here's where this starts, even though this wasn't really the start. Unto us a child is born. Now, he says, unto us a child is born. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? He doesn't say, God's having a baby. He says, you're having a baby. And we saw in the scripture in Luke 2 that you read with Jerry this morning that he said to the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord. You're having a baby. See, Jesus, as we understand what the scriptures said, he came in this way, but he came for us, connected to us. He's related to us. He is our relative as human beings. He became fully human. Now we understand Jesus existed before Christmas, but Christmas is where we could finally get it when we would see him in this form. And so unto us, a child is born. If we don't reflect on that, if we just become like annoyed with kids, it's like, no, when God wanted you to see him, the, the image that he saw that he could reveal to you was in a baby. So there's something in children that's really important. That's why it's funny when people just, oh, they don't want kids around. They, you know, like during church, when the kids are allowed to come into church, they make a little noise and we're like, get that kid out of here. <laughs> like they're more important than we are. Are you kidding me? When God revealed himself, it was in a child. We should be like, you're being too quiet here. You're boring the kids. That should be the way we look at it. But unto us, a child is born. But he goes on and he says, unto us, a son is given. Now, we understand our doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three persons, eternally existent, three, three distinct persons, one God, um, if you understand that, uh, you're beyond me already. But I believe it because the Bible teaches it clearly. But he's a son. But in the Old Testament, the idea of father, God the Father wasn't there. Uh, hardly ever, maybe used once as a metaphor. But Jesus revealed to us, you know, who our Father is and that he is the Son. He takes that metaphor and 
makes it clear to us. But when it's saying, a child is born to you, a son is given to you. The son refers to someone who is your relative. And so it's, it's looking at the fact that even though he's given on this day, his lineage goes back to Adam and his lineage goes forward to where he is still our relative now. Now, that word given there, the Hebrew word that we transliterate into the name Nathan, to, to be given, it's used a ton in the scriptures. One of the primary uses of this word, Nathan, where it's given, is when someone offers a sacrifice. Now we begin to see that, okay, we were given a son, but there's something more going on here. Not only is this baby a part of humanity, this baby pre-existed as well because he's given, not just born, and ultimately given when you go through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, when it's giving instructions on the sacrifice, this word Nathan is used each time to say the blood was sprinkled on the horns of the altar. The blood was given in order to atone for sins. See, this is a clue that when Isaiah wrote this, I'm sure he had no concept of it. He had a certain concept, but now we look back on it and go, whoa, he's given. Mary discovered this after she brought Jesus into the temple to be dedicated. And, you know, there's a prophecy that he's going to save the world, but it's going to break your heart. This concept of Jesus, to get the full picture, he's a baby, but he's also the one who will be sacrificed, the one who ultimately can make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. A child is born, a son is offered, really would be a good way to translate that. And so then he says, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now that word government, it's the only place that word is used um, in the Old Testament, but it refers to authority and being on his shoulder. They would have a, a little thing hanging on their shoulder that showed their rank. So he's saying, this baby that's, that's born and offered, this baby has all authority. This baby is the ultimate authority. He's in charge. Now you're like, whoa, that really becomes profound. But then he says his name will be called. And they would use the term name to refer to character. We use names as just a title for someone. Like we're going to name someone. We just think, okay, I want to pick a name that people aren't going to make fun of kids aren't going to pick on them because of their dumb name or, you know, whatever. But for them, names always referred to, here's the character of the person. So here is the character of Jesus. You want to get the full picture of Jesus, you begin to comprehend this. So his character, his name will be called, first of all, wonderful. That's such a great word, wonderful. Wonderful means that it's jaw-dropping. When you're describing him, you can't describe him completely. 
We are designed with the capacity to just go, wow, to be overwhelmed. And if you, if your idea of Jesus is someone that you think, oh yeah, you totally understand him, you're missing out on, on 90% of the glory. In fact, if you look at this world and it doesn't amaze you, you're not looking close enough. You're oversimplifying. You're being reductionist. You're going, okay, I understand what this, I mean, if you're going to describe God because you can theologically, you know, you can quote the shorter Westminster Catechism. Yeah, I know God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. There. That's it? See, God created a world that's designed to amaze us. He created a world that's jaw-dropping in its beauty, in its details, in the way that it's like defies description that the more we develop technology to look closer at creation, the more amazed we become at its details. It's one of the best things about really good science doesn't reduce us. It helps us to appreciate more and more. Whoa, God is a creative God and he created us in his image. We tend to try to minimize creativity and reduce ourselves to something that we can have a handle on. And people do that with Jesus too. Well, he's just little baby Jesus, that's fine. Or he's, you know, my own personal Jesus. I can pray, he cares. But no, he's so much more complex than that. You know, in fact, if we think that we totally know Jesus, we should question ourselves. Because, you know, wonderful, a part of that word is wonder. If you lose your sense of wonder, you'll not only lose your connection with God, you'll lose part of your humanity. It's why God made us with, the, with an appreciation for aesthetics, for art and, and science and details and, and beauty and amazement. When, you know, there are all kinds of studies that show, for instance, that people are way more healthy psychologically if they'll go out and walk in the woods a little bit, walk in a park, look at trees, look at the details of them. Why? Not just go, yep, trees, same trees. Oh, somebody ought to trim that one. Somebody, no, it's like, no, to look at it and go, whoa, to look at the sky, to look at the rainbows that we had the other day, to, to look at the sunsets. That We get so used to sunsets. They're so incredible. If you live somewhere where you don't see sunsets, then you see one, you're like, whoa, you know. When we lived in Huntington Beach, I would just look out the window and go, okay, it's good enough, let's go down. Now we have sunsets almost every night, and Ann will go, Dave, look at the sunset. And I'm like busy doing something, and I go, oh yeah. <laughs> you get so used to it, we get so spoiled. I could, you know, you can look at a sunset for hours, if it would last that long, sometimes in an airplane it does, and you're like, this is just amazing. I don't know how to describe this. That is wonder. That is something that God has built into you. Now, you can go, creation, yeah, it's complicated because God's complicated. You know why God made the earth and the universe so complicated? Do you know why there are stars out there that we will never see. There are, there are details 
in the bottom of the sea that we may never know? Well, in Revelation chapter four, when they're in heaven at the throne of God and the 24 elders are worshiping God, the, the 24 elders are singing, everything that you made, you did it for your pleasure. For your pleasure, they were created. So every detail that's in existence was done because God loves that kind of stuff. He loves over-the-top creative expression. He loves that the profundity that comes along with going, wow. When we lose our sense of wow, we lose our sense with who Jesus truly is. We reduce him to being our own personal Jesus, but we miss that he is so much more than that. If, if you can't look at Jesus and go, I'm speechless, then you're missing part of him. It's partly what worship is, ultimately, from the heart. It's not that our words are so great. Sometimes, and maybe you've done this, sometimes when I can worship God the most, I'm listening to instrumental music, or I'm looking at a beautiful painting or a beautiful scene in nature. I'm standing there looking at Yosemite Valley and Half Dome and the waterfalls, and I'm like, this is the most worshipful experience. It's not structured. I'm not quoting some liturgy. I'm just going, whoa, when I see it. So in describing Jesus, it starts there. He is wonderfully amazing, beyond description. So, but then it says, he's also a counselor. A counselor is somebody who gives you advice. A counselor isn't someone who makes you do what they want you to do. That's a cult leader uh, or a politician. Um, a counselor is somebody who goes, here's my take. Now, it's up to you to make the choices that you're going to make. And that's him. Now, can you imagine anyone who's a better counselor than Jesus? He gave his life for us. He was given for us. And so now he's, he loves us so much, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the only reason why he tells us, do this, don't do that, is because he knows what's best for us. So do we take his advice? That's the real question. You're going, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, I mean, how much time do you spend actually reading his word to see what he suggests would be a good way for you to live your life? How much time do you spend even asking him? Jesus talked about, when I leave, it's gonna be even better for you because the Holy Spirit will be your counselor and live inside of you and can speak to you. So do we listen? We can say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. But do I even attempt to take his advice? Do I even listen to his advice? Does his advice mean anything to me? Or instead, am I going to get the counsel of everybody else? Am I going to see, well, what is this expert saying? What is that saying? What, is, what do I see on the news? Or what do I, and then I like amalgamate all of that and go, now, what do I do? I'm not saying that there isn't some good counsel out there somewhere, but I'm saying the best counsel that you can get 
is from our counselor who also happens to be perfect. So I would suggest your life will be much better if you take his advice. So you can celebrate him one day a year or you can decide, you know what? I really want to do things the way he thinks it's the best way for me to do it. Now, he doesn't force you. Like any good counselor will say, well, here's my take on it, but it's up to you. It's the same thing that he does with us. But Jesus is not only amazing and wonderful, but he can tell you how to do the best you can do with your life. And so understand that. That's a part of his nature is to give us counsel, not to just beat us up and order us or force us or manipulate us. And that's not what he does. He's a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. But then it says, Jesus, this baby, he's also the mighty God. Now, there are some cults who take this verse and they say, well, that doesn't mean necessarily he's God. But the same term in Hebrew in the very next chapter in in Isaiah 10 is used of Yahweh. So no, he is the mighty God. Everything that there is to God in all of his power is in Jesus. He is God. Do I completely understand that? No, that's why it's so wonderful. But I believe it because the scripture tells me that. So now the Jesus, the same one that came on Christmas Day, I realize he can do anything. Understanding that I am in relationship with the almighty God means that I never have to be tripped out about what I can't do. It means I don't ever have to go, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't have a solution. I can't be good enough. I can't do what I want to do. This isn't happening. You have an almighty God, Jesus. He is God and he can do anything. And that's important to understand and believe in. But then he's called the everlasting father, which is kind of confusing here in Isaiah 9, 6, because um, we use God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which the New Testament kind of lays that out. It's still just a metaphor. God the Father, as we call him, as Jesus called him, wasn't the Father because he had Jesus as a son. He's using the picture of family to describe what's been eternally existent within the Godhead from all of eternity past. But this term for, for, as he says, everlasting father, really a better translation of that would be that he is the one that's behind all of perpetuity, all of time. He's the originator, um, would be better than father. And of everything that has ever existed time-wise in eternity past, in eternity future. So the idea is, and we know this from John chapter 1, when he was in the beginning and he made everything. It means he also made time. Time is something that he created. So Jesus, the one who was born in time, existed outside of time and actually invented time. And for him, all of the past is present. All of the future is present. He doesn't trip over what's happened before. He doesn't get it confused. 
He doesn't do historical revisionism. He doesn't worry about what's happening in the future because he's the almighty God who owns and invented time itself. This is kind of important because so much of our crises in life revolve around time. As you get older, you start just going, oh man, I'm running out of time. If you're young, you're like, I got all the time in the world. I mean, right? But it's like years ago when I was a kid, the Rolling Stones were singing, time is on my side. Um, You look at them today, obviously it's not on their side (laughs) because we're all in a state of deterioration. But most of the things we worry about, the reason they're a concern is because of time. Is because if I just knew what was going to happen, if I knew the future, well, Jesus is the one who invented time. He is the originator of perpetuity, of eternity past, eternity future. He owns it all now. That should be very liberating to us because anything that I'm worried about that involves a deficiency in power, he's mighty, he's powerful. Anything that I worry about that involves time, having having enough time, having things happen in time, it's like, I got that too. He is the father of perpetuity, the everlasting father. And then ultimately, the prince of peace. A prince is a ruler. Peace is shalom in Hebrew. It referred to, you know, success. You know, it referred to thriving. It referred to a sense of calm. You know, everything good that anybody could ever want, he's the boss of it. He is the prince of it. Now, you know that the prince of peace is in a battle when it leads to peace. For us, peace is anything but what, our, what we experience usually on a daily basis. It helps when you have all power and all time. But ultimately, we stress and strive. And, and so often, we think that our battle is something against Principal, you know, it's against like people or it's against we've got to crush, you know, evil in the world. Oh, no. I look at the news and I go, oh, we're in trouble, man. We have to fight. We have to get it together. It's fine. God is fine. He's going to win. I don't care what the battle is. He's going to win. He was the prince of peace. He was the boss of peace when this was written and Nebuchadnezzar was ruling over all of Israel, ultimately, he was the Prince of Peace when Jesus came to earth and the Roman Empire was in its full strength and treated him horribly. In fact, when they killed him, he was the Prince of Peace. And he experienced peace even in that moment because he exists outside of time. He knows how the story ends. So he does not freak out about an election. He doesn't freak out about, oh, wars and different things going on. If it's of him, it's going to bring peace. If we are understanding who he is, we will experience that peace because he's, he's our leader. You can't follow a bunch of leaders. So if you're going to follow somebody, follow the one that says, I got this. I, I bring peace. As Jesus said, 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. So here Isaiah says, this guy, the baby who's born, this one who will be given to pay for your sins. Ultimately, he is the final authority. It's on his shoulders. But he is amazing, wonderful. He'll give you advice. He's your counselor. He is almighty God. He can do anything. He is the creator of time itself. He has, he's never in a hurry. He's never, he's never like stressed because, oh, the time's running out. Oh no, is this the time? It's like, I invented time. We're fine. You're gonna be fine if you have me. And ultimately, he's the Prince of Peace. That's what we all need, is to find a place of peace. And the only way to find that shalom truly is to understand that something radical happened when the child was born to us, even as, you know, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. You and I, we had a baby who came for us, but he is God. He is so amazing that you can study him the rest of your life and you'll only scratch the surface of how amazing he is. And not only that, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you find anything in this world that's amazing, it was created because he loved to be amazed himself and because he wants that to speak to us of how amazing he is. We have the opportunity to experience that wonder, which again, part of wonder is humility. Like you're like, I wonder exactly. It's like, I don't have it all. I enjoy wondering because there's always gonna be so much more. But he also, in his word and by his spirit, he gives me advice and I decide whether I'm gonna take it or not. Just like I decide if I'm gonna worship him, I decide if I'm gonna take his advice. He can do anything. I don't have to be afraid of not having enough power because he's almighty. I don't have to worry about not having enough time because he invented time. He owns it. The Prince of Peace. I can walk in his peace because my real boss, my real leader is the one who ultimately can bring peace even in the midst of all kinds of adversity and who will one day establish his peace forever. And that's an amazing thing to celebrate. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The government authority, it's on his shoulders, and his name is wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Father of eternity, Prince of Peace. His kingdom's never going to end. It's here now, and it will always be here, and we look forward to the day when we begin to understand more and more that connection between him, his creation, those he loved, those he died for. Now, if you're here and maybe somebody dragged you to church and you've never really connected with Jesus and invited him to be your savior, I would encourage you today. It's not, it doesn't cost you anything except your miserable life. And ultimately, to trust your life to him, to go, wow, 
I could use that kind of wonder to come back into my life. I could use that innocence. I could use that advice. I could use that connection with Almighty God. I could use that which transcends time. And I need peace. You know, I could use that. But you can come to him today and ask him to give you a fresh start in your life, to forgive you and to be your savior in everything that that involves. There'll be people down here in the front who would love to pray with you. If you'd like to receive some prayer, you just want to restart, kickstart your life, please don't leave here without making sure that you're right with him. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word. Just this simple verse that's so full that we could study this verse for the rest of our lives and not even begin to plumb the depth of your wonder. Thank you, though, for sharing this with us and getting us to think in a realm that's a little different than where we live our lives typically every day. May we, this Christmas, celebrate the baby who was given for us, the one who's ultimately the authority, the one who is beyond description, the one who gives us advice personally, the one who can do everything as God, the one who has all the time in the universe, and the one who is the ruler whose agenda is peace. May we experience that, all of us, on a daily basis. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.